You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome to Nowhere to Run. Thanks for tuning in, however it is that you found the show, whether it was through Revelations Radio Network, Revere Radio Network, the Black Vault Radio Network, iTunes, Google Search, YouTube, whatever. I'm glad that you've made it. And you can go to my website, which is NowhereToRunRadio.com. There you can contact me with your questions, comments, concerns. You can also comment on the website itself. And you can also find links there to all the different projects that are is going on, as well as how to contact me via P.O. Box. Okay, so um hope you're all doing good. And I'm going to do something a little bit different today, possibly testing out a new format. Maybe we'll call this Nowhere to Run 2. One or nowhere to run three. I think nowhere to run three point zero would be more appropriate because I'm gonna instead of rambling right at the beginning, <clears throat> I'm gonna get right into the news and do that for uh, a good fifteen or so minutes um, and then get into some of the other things. So let's go ahead and start off. There's a lot of all kinds of stuff in the news here. Um, I am going to start off with uh, this one about the censorship of the internet and this online infringement bill. This is the source is Electronic Frontier Foundation, uh, a legislative analysis by Richard Esquera. Senator Patrick Leahy yesterday introduced the Combating Online Infringement and Counterfeits Act. The flawed bill would allow the Attorney General and the Department of Justice to break the Internet one domain at a time by requiring domain registrars, uh, ISPs, DNS providers, and others to block Internet users from reaching certain websites. The bill would create two internet blacklists. The first is a list of all the websites hit with a censorship court order from the Attorney General. The second, more worrying, blacklist is the list of domain names that the Department of Justice determines without judicial review are dedicated to infringing activities. The bill only requires blocking for domains in the first list, but strongly suggests the domains in the second list should be blocked as well by providing legal immunity for Internet intermediaries and DNS operators who decide to block domains on the second blacklist as well. It's easy to predict that there will be tremendous pressure for the Internet intermediaries of all stripes to block these deemed infringing sites on the second blacklist. Now, if you read through this a little bit, which I haven't done, but I've read some articles of people that have, and it seems that you know the language right now is more about those that are uh, putting up websites that the language is such that there is no other purpose for it but to you know distribute copyrighted material. So, like I used to work at Rosetta Stone, and there used to be websites all the time that were just. Uh, false fronts that were supposed to look like Rosetta Stone, but they sold um, pirated Rosetta Stone. And I guess this is what that is. You know, there's no other purpose except for just for to sell um, copyrighted material. So that's the the idea that makes it look all you know okay on the outset. But the problem is, of course, is that uh, on down the line, if there's no judicial review for this, and it's just the prerogative of the of the Justice Department then that language could be tweaked as needed, you know, maybe in the in the aftermath of some um, internet terrorist act or whatever, you know, something like that. It just doesn't need to be much in order to tweak that language. And then it becomes, 
the legal precedent is set to to turn off websites that you don't uh, that you don't like. But of course, when they introduce the bills, it's not going to um, it's not going to say that. It's going to say everything that something that everybody would agree with. So, you know, this goes back to the idea that the internet is just not going to be around forever, even if the world continued in this very slow downward slope that it is we're not going to be having the same kind of freedoms that we've had for this golden age of the internet i i'm 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 believing that this is kind of what this will be known as this is a sort of uh, we'll look back in fond memory of the freedom that we had of access to information at this point that's why it's good to uh, get as much of it you, as you can get big hard drives um you know, save stuff to DVDs. I think that's an excellent way to save information. You can get uh, almost five gigs per per writable DVD, and they don't have any moving parts, so uh, they're less likely to fail, like most hard drives. And uh, you know, choose wisely. Get a lot of really good Bible teaching on there. Get a lot. Of, you, you know, you could be the source of um, you know some future underground churches. <laughs> and uh, uh, anyway, so let's move on. Next one. This one is from topnews.co.uk so this is probably whatever he's quoting the defense secretary Liam Fox in the UK apparently oh no here comes the yawning that I used to do when I used to read news stories I'm sorry for making everybody out there yawn I don't know what it is Some somehow reading news stories makes me yawn it's not because I'm terribly uninterested I don't think it's just some weird reaction Defense Secretary Liam Fox has highlighted the fear that once in a century that a once in a century phenomenon of large solar flare could cause electromagnetic, electromagnetic disruptions which could paralyze the earth. Earlier this year, NASA scientists warned that large solar flares could be caused uh, by a peak in the sun's energy cycle in 2012-2013, which would be which would be powerful enough to leave many countries including the UK without crucial communication. The electromagnetic disruptions could cause widespread power blackouts. It doesn't say cause. It says the electromagnetic disruptions could widespread power blackouts around the world by crippling electric equipment as well as satellites and uh, orbiting the planet. The super flares caused by electromagnetic disruptions occur once every 100 years. Now, this is the interesting thing about this this uh, story, and I, it's probably submitted by some blogger or something i don't know anything anything about topnews.co.uk it looks like a blog site it looks rather it looks like it's pretty reputable but what i want to take your attention to is that this is the defense secretary okay not a scientist he's a, he's a war guy and he he says that uh he's highlighted a fear whatever that means that uh, once in a century, phenomenon of a large solar flare could cause electromagnetic disruptions, which could paralyze the Earth. But they quote, the scientists they quote is NASA. And NASA, which we you know we've reported on lots of different times, says that this solar flare is going to occur in 2012 or 2013, which is referring to the 11-year cycle. And um, there's just no doubt about that. The sun has an 11-year cycle of solar flares. It's been going on and recorded probably longer than any other um, astronomical, I mean, it's, it's hundreds and hundreds of years of observation of the 11-year cycle. So it's well understood, at least in terms of when it's going to happen, and, and we have no idea why it happens, but that's uh, that's another story. So not understand that's, well, it's part of the same story. Not knowing why the 11-year cycle happens makes it intrinsically 
hard to predict if one of these is going to be worse than the other. But that's not really the story of this. The story here is them saying this is all of a sudden a 100-year cycle and that we're going to and, and that makes people think a 100-year cycle. You mean in 2012 we're going to get like once in a 100-year blast of solar radiation? Well, not that I know of. I mean, I've never heard of the 100-year cycle at all. Certainly NASA isn't reporting it in the context of this website. This person, I think, just has a feeling that they know that this is a 100-year cycle and they they just wrote it. Um, But anyway, I could be wrong. Maybe there's some 100-year cycle. But the important part is that, um, let me read on here. Um... The super flares cause electromagnetic disruptions uh, occur once every 100 years. The last major flare has disrupted the Earth telegraph system in the mid-19th century, and the scientists fear that similar events could paralyze modern life totally as it could hit computers, telephones, and water food supplies. Now they're speaking of a the large a large solar flare that happened at the peak of a solar cycle. Um, actually, I'm not even sure it did happen at the peak of a solar, solar cycle, but they're quoting, as NASA has, a previous large solar event. Um, and apparently this person just said, well, that's, that's a part of a hundred year cycle, um, because it happened a hundred years ago. So that's probably where this is coming from. But what I want to point out is that this goes on to say here, commenting on the issue, the most severe effects would be destruction of big transformers and make it possible to send that, send all the electric power through the electrical grid. So the biggest effect of the solar flares is that iPhones don't work. Right. I mean, that, or you know what I'm saying? The the thing, the, the global catastrophe is that it turns off the electrical stuff. I mean, nothing changes. They don't even talk about health effects. They're just like, oh, yeah, the electrical stuff goes down. The reason that's important for 2012ers is because, well, you know, the issue here is that uh, they're saying that the solar flares are supposed to cause a pole shift. The solar flares are supposed to cause the Earth crust to move. The solar flares are supposed to cause uh, some energy to get through, thereby you know changing our DNA and blah blah blah. On and on and on. Nobody has a consensus of what it's supposed to do. Everybody's got their own different version of it. Trust me, there's a million of them. But uh, the the issue is, if the biggest solar flare that we've ever seen hits again then it's going to turn off electrical stuff, not change your DNA, not cause the earth crust to melt. So anyway, that's that one. Okay, this one is pretty interesting. This is uh, from preventdisease.com. Canadians to be vaccinated with live H1N1 virus with MSG for the 2010-2011 flu season. The public health agency of Canada has once again given their seal of approval for the injection of a dangerous cocktail of toxic chemicals they call a trivalent vaccine. The 2010-11 recipients of AstraZeneca's flu mist will be exposed uh, to several strains of live viruses including H1N1, H3N2. The vaccine also contains MSG and other known neurotoxins and immunotoxins. Similar to last year's Appendrex vaccine flu mist was approved without evaluating its safety and effectiveness effectiveness on a single Canadian. That's that's really typical of vaccines. They don't get tested. There's certainly no long-term tests, but a lot of them won't even get like trialed on on human beings. And that's because they contain things like MSG, and you just don't uh, put that in your bloodstream and, and expect people to um, be okay. 
The vaccines are especially being promoted for children since the nasal spray vaccine can be marketed as less invasive due to its intranasal delivery. That does not require needles. Ontario's chief medical officer of health said the non-injectable vaccine is an attractive option that the product has been on the U.S. market for the last seven years. Okay, so they got MSG in the nasal one. Now the ingredients list here seems to not have any mercury, although it does have monobastic potassium phosphate, which is immunotoxin, as well as monosodium glutinate, glutamate. Um, looks like some other, obviously it's got live viruses in it, including the bird flu. That's really stupid, by the way. Um, I am against all vaccines. The philosophy about them don't make any sense to me. All the the you know historical things. They, what about smallpox? What about polio? Look at the studies on that. You'll find that polio was already out. The only thing that the vaccines did was cause a tremendous spike in the people that got polio. Uh, if you look at a graph, you'll see a huge downward spike of polio, almost to being completely eradicated. And then the vaccine was introduced, huge spike, and then it goes right back down. Um, it to where it was going anyway. And and like the inventor of the polio vaccine uh, always uh, said, that the, of course, the, how did he say, the it will be attributed to the vaccine, that eradication of polio, even though it doesn't deserve it. And there's lots of quotes like that on my website called Hendersonville Vaccine Awareness Network.com. Long name, serious website, Hendersonville Vaccine Awareness Network.com. Lots of peer-reviewed uh, information, medical doctors, lots of articles that can prove to you uh, that, that vaccines are bad. Now, a lot of people say about mercury in the in the flu vaccines that they were take that mercury was taken out. Sometimes called thimerosal. Thimerosal was taken out of a lot of vaccines uh, because it, of the political thing that it had become, because it was obviously causing uh, autism. So they took it out of the vaccines and. They did, but they did keep it in the um, flu vaccines. You can go to the CDC's website. They've got a whole thing there. They ask them, is, is the Marisol still in the, vac the flu vaccines? Yes, it is. And it goes on to explain that there are certain, um, they're trying to make available a certain amount of doses that don't have it in there uh, for your convenience. Now, this is very, of course, nerve wracking because you've got Walgreens right now promoting You've probably seen the signs are like ridiculously promoting the flu vaccines, as I'm sure a lot of other pharmacies are. But Walgreens, uh, my wife has had two people, two Walgreens employees off duty approach her about getting a vaccine, which is weird. But please don't get the flu vaccines. If you got to get them, if somebody's forcing you to get them, make sure you get the one without thimerosal in it. Um, it is unbelievably dangerous. And the philosophy behind not just the vaccine and the fact that, you know, they, they, there's no way to know what, what strain of the flu it's going to be. And it has to be for one particular strain and, and all these different things that make no sense. And, and the whole concept of the live virus thing is, is just a ridiculous, uh, uh, really a cult philosophy that, uh, goes back to, uh, sort of giving people the disease. And anyway, a, what I want to say about thimerosal is that it, it Mercury, the idea, the reason they say they put it in the vaccines is as a preservative in case they want to reuse the needle. That is, when for multi-dose situations, they want to make sure that needle is sterilized. So they're going to risk putting mercury in it instead of saline 
because, you know, they just want to be extra sure about that needle. It's not necessary at all. It's not at all necessary to put it in there. But And that's the problem. And so I think that really comes back to this MSG thing. But first, let me hit a little bit more on the mercury in case people have never heard about this stuff before. The, one of the most published doctors, if not, I think he might be the most published doctor out there, and I can't remember his name, so I'm just going to be talking off the top of my head. But he basically did a study that showed uh, he was obviously aware of the, this problem. And in order to prove it to people, he did a study which uh, monitored elderly people. And he said, and basically, if, if they got a flu vaccine 10 years in a row, they were, I can't remember the numbers, astronomically more likely to get Alzheimer's disease. To the point it was just it was you know signed you know mathematically impossible that they, that it wasn't tied. So what happened is this this incredibly respected doctor. Now if you look up his name, all you're going to see is that like he I mean a huge smear came campaign about him writing himself prescriptions and he was this massive drug addict. And you look into that and the drugs that they uh, are mentioning are like. You know, there's a whole other side to that story. They're like headache drugs and stuff like that. But you just see like crazy doctors drugged out, you know. And here he's like more published than any doctor uh, on the planet, or at least he was. Um, so there's that kind of stuff. It's It, it causes Alzheimer's disease. It causes um, it causes uh, uh, the same thing as autism. If you look at what thimerosal does to ne neurons... It's a wonder that any of us are walking around thinking because uh, this stuff just shrivels up your neur neurons. Uh, it's so deadly for your brain. It's unbelievable. And I think the interesting thing about the the flu vaccine is that, you know, there's no reason to put thimerosal in it, right? Because there's no needle to be sterilized. But they put MSG in it and excitotoxin, one of the few excitotoxins out there besides like aspartame. Uh, and, and they put it, they put it in your nasal cavity. Okay. The thing about excitotoxins is that technically they're not really that dangerous to you unless they get past the blood brain barrier. And there's lots of reasons why people could have a uh, porous blood brain barrier, maybe former alcoholic, uh, certain diseases. There's all kinds of different things. There's a million different things that you could have uh, a, a way for uh, blood to get into your brain, and and so some people like if they eat MSG, they're gonna they're gonna really feel it because say you know they're gonna have neuro uh, serious neurological reactions to it, and it's gonna, those neurological reactions will manifest in a lot of different ways because. Um, because it's a neurotoxin. So when you mess with your brain, when you mess with the computer, a lot of weird stuff happens. You know, you might have arthritis in your knees or something like that. You might have uh, whatever. Anyway, my point is, it's like they just knew that something, they had to put something evil in it. And without the ability to put, uh, I mean, obviously they're already putting in bird flu into it. But this is just over the top. I can't, I haven't. I'm sure that there is some ostensible reason why they put MSG in a vaccine. But I am sure, equally sure, that it is not necessary. Um, but anyway. Well, here's an, the Health Canada issued a notice of decision. I want to check this out real quick. Just to see what, if any reason, what is this? It's like a two-page document. Uh, this is just 
uh, it doesn't say anything about that. MSG. I'm, I'm going I'm to pause this and look and see if I can't find out why they said they're going to do that. Okay, well, I didn't find anything in that particular article, but I did find another interesting article on it from at whale.2. And it says, disregarding the blood-brain barrier and the placental barrier issues, the literature clearly indicates that based on the amount of MSG used in the 1970s, over 25% of the population react to MSG. You might check the studies by Reef Layer and a study by Kenny and Tidball. A later glutamate industry-funded study by Kerr et al. attempts to discredit the above-stated studies by narrowly defining what an MSG reaction is. A careful reading of Kerr et al. study will disclose that 43% of the respondents in the study reacted to MSG with reactions that we now recognize as possible MSG reactions. Okay, this next part is the the reason why they say MSG is in there. It says, although we have not reviewed all vaccines used on infants, we have found one or two sources of processed free glutamic acid, MSG, in those that we have information on. In discussion we re with a retired executive of a company that produces vaccines, he suggested to me that all viral vaccines would have free glutamic acid used to free feed the live virus. The glutamic acid in vaccines are often described as stabilizers, i.e. ingredients to keep the virus alive. We describe them as a hidden source of process-free glutamic acid. Um, as an example for you would be the chickenpox vaccine by Virovax and Merck. Uh, the vaccine includes L-monosodium glutamate and hydrolyzed gelatin. Another example would be blah, 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 Merck. So the reason they say they, they have to feed the live virus. Is anybody, I mean, see a problem with that? Okay. And, you know, don't take my word for it. You know, you know, I'm certainly not a scientist. I'm certainly not a biochemist, but you can take the word of biochemists and scientists. And again, you can go to, uh, Hendersonville vaccine awareness network.com. And there's plenty of other websites than that. Mine's probably, uh, not the greatest. Okay. So, Mission News Network going to uh, this one about the flooding displacing millions in India. Heavy rain is overflowing the banks of, uh, of this is from December, excuse me, September 24th. Uh, the banks of rivers washing away homes and claiming lives in northern India. More than 17 people are dead and reports suggest that nearly 2 million people are now homeless and need shelter. President and founder of Gospel for Asia, K.P. Yohannan, says if you have people by the hundreds and thousands and most of them have mud houses, all of these low-lying areas, these huts, have been completely washed away. Everything these families have is there, which isn't much. It's all gone. Johannan says helping those in need during emergencies is something their pastors and missionaries are trained for. We have churches and missionaries and people who are on the scene, and some of them are also suffering in this crisis. What, and when this happens, we lose churches, buildings, and believers. With that training, Johannan says our people are desperately trying to be... Uh, be bring the basic necessities such as food and water and something to relieve the pain. The flooding has hit the Indian states of Altar, Pradesh, Bihar, and Uttarakhand, hardest. The Indian Metropological, Metro Meteorological Department says that northern India has experienced unprecedented rain since August. Most rivers are flowing above the danger mark, including the Yama and the Ganges. Spillways have been uh, opened to relieve the high water in some areas. 
Yohannan says his financial financial help is needed for Christians in the West for a group of people to make uh, uh, about two dollars and fifty cents a day. Um, I, I like Gospel for Asia. I support Gospel for Asia. Um, a few others that I support, and I'm thinking about putting something on the website for just ministries that are that I that I support for whatever that's worth is uh, Gospel for Asia. I support uh, Heart Cry, uh, Paul Washer's Missionary Society, and also. Um, Wycliffe Bible Translation Society. I think all of those are really great for evangelism. I kind of try to split up the giving in, in three different categories, uh, teaching, uh, evangelism, and then mercy. And, uh, you know, usually the teaching will, will get the, I, I feel like has more of a biblical precedent for a higher percentage. And then evangelism is about half of whatever that, and then I might split up evangelism and mercy or put them all together one one week or whatever, but I, I think that it's a really good thing I think to to have a place where people can find links to a lot of good missionary societies and good places uh, to give and stuff like that. So, um, so I'm thinking about putting up a website about that pretty soon. But another um, uh, this type of stuff. Let's go to persecution.net. Um, this one is always close to my heart. Here, this is. If you haven't gone to it before, it's the Voice of the Martyrs. It's um, pretty much a news source for what's going on in the world in regard to persecution. Nine believers arrested in Iran. Nine believers were recently arrested on the charge of carrying out journalism just outside Hamadan, Iran. According to a broadcast on Iranian state television, two of the arrested were reportedly suspected by organizations based outside the country or supported, rather, by organizations based outside the country. In particular, the United States and Great Britain, but their nationalities are unknown. The other seven detained were reportedly cooperating with, quote, Christian Zionist organizations, a term used in Iranian government culture for evangelical Christians who are benefiting from having access to a number of networks and TV satellite programming for evangelism. It is reportedly the first time in three decades the state TV has broadcast news about the arrest of a group of Christians. And the source is Farsi Christian News Network. Uh, church attacked by militant Muslims in Pakistan. On September 18th, Nasari Pentecostal Church in the Shah Latif town of Pakistan was attacked and vandalized by militants angered over a threat to burn Korans in the United States earlier this month. The church gates were opened and the locks broken. The attacks broke open a cupboard and vandalized religious items around midnight, uh, said Pastor Peter Shansad. Nine copies of the Bible, three hymn books, and three wooden crosses were burned, and a drum was damaged. It was the second church attack within a week. The countrywide Protestants continued against the pastor. Can, okay. You know, man, I mean, if it wasn't so transparent about the Quran burning thing, that, I mean, that was intended to do exactly this. I mean, it seemed like right from the beginning that was the obvious ploy. It was a stupid thing that was in, intended to be an overseas, um, you know, th just thing to make people mad. It didn't really mean a whole lot to, to us, uh, per se. I mean, it certainly got all the news and, and this big thing. But really, it was to give the East, as we see it... Um, a picture of what they believe already to be true, but give them really something to hang on to. It's just more 
of the same. I think to bite on that, to be like, to to make that your issue, to be super mad about that or super for that or whatever, is just falling way into, um, you know, a set trap there. So uh, let's move on here. There's lots of stuff about, let's see, terrorists trying to recruit against residents, blah, 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 Iran, different sorts of things that are just, in my opinion, the same kind of stuff that's been going on for a long time. I hope to do more with the news and hopefully uh, have more news stories as we progress and things like that. I'm going to cut this one a little short today just because there's a lot of other stuff to get to. I'm still thinking about doing a news show, a separate news show. I'm not sure exactly how uh, I would do that if it would be on a regular basis. I think putting the news on Nowhere to Run, especially if I ended up doing it a lot longer than I did today, would also help me to keep these a little more regular to be about at least a weekly show, and uh, hopefully more than that. But um, let's move on. There's some some notes and things I want to get out of the way. I did the Apostolic Succession video. It's something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Finally got it done. It's on there as a podcast. It's also on there as a video. Um, I'm waiting on a few Catholic apologist responses before I really start uh, trying to promote it to um, uh, Catholics out there. I was banned already from Catholic.com for trying to proselytize Catholics, which I saved as a screenshot. It was pretty interesting how open that forum was. Uh, sarcastically speaking there, obviously, but anyway, I was also in that, in that idea of evangelizing Catholics. I just saw a video from Keith Thompson about the research that he's doing for his Catholic documentary about Catholic doctrine. And I am very, very excited. He is on the case because he is much more thorough and, uh, than I would ever be. And he's doing such a really good job in terms of research. So I expect whenever that uh, movie comes out to be just the benchmark for for Catholic doctrine refuting uh, documentaries, of which there are none out there, which is so strange, isn't it? I mean, that there is, there's there's a I mean there's almost a, a doctrine refuting kind of video for everything out there, and then you've got Catholicism way bigger than any other. Um, thing and uh, there's not anything out there about it so there it is that's what he's doing and I think he's going to do a really good job on it um, so anyways let's get into some stuff well one other quick sort of thing scripture memory um, I've been putting them on cards yes I know I have the scripture memory podcast but uh, <laughs> I decided that I really somebody had mentioned in a sermon or something recently about the importance of memorizing scripture, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I know that. But they said something a little different, which was memorize scripture that you need, memorize scripture that you're stuff that you're trying to work on. And so I thought that was a really great idea. I uh, I thought about what I was trying to work on. In this case, prayer is one of them. And I just looked up, you know, what are the best Bible verses on prayer. And, you know, chose about two of them, wrote them on index cards, and I've already memorized two fairly lengthy verses. Um, and I'm pretty pretty proud. I feel like they've really stuck in my mind, too, and um, there's going to be so many uses for them, even if it's just for me to really get these principles in my head and, and know that it, these promises are true and, and these things are real. So that's a, that's a pretty uh, good idea, and I just wanted to pass it along to you all as well. Okay, so let's talk about 2012. I am going to be speaking at a conference tomorrow at uh, 
in Asheville, North Carolina. And it's going to be a whole lot of fun. And I know I was supposed to uh, give some uh, times and dates. If you if you are thinking about going tomorrow to Asheville, North Carolina to see this, it's in downtown Asheville. You can probably find it in the papers there, um, like the, the equivalent of like what's going on in town kind of thing. You'll see something about it and you'll find it there. I'm not... Uh, that's probably the best way to find the details about it. Um, so, but in doing this research, and I think I may have mentioned in the other show that I've been doing a little bit more research into people like Terrence McKenna um, as a part of the overall 2012 presentation and adding a few other details. Uh, and in that research, I found something rather interesting while studying McKenna. McKenna has a, had a situation where he uh, ended up talking with an entity named the Logos that told him about uh, the thing that he made. That uh, I'm gonna I'm just gonna read this this blog post because I explain all that in it. So I'm just gonna let it speak for itself. And this is on the 2012deception.net uh, site right now. The interesting origin of 2012 theories. While doing some research for a talk I will be doing this weekend in Nashville, North Carolina on 2012, I came across a rather interesting theme regarding the main 2012 theories and their origin. I have previously detailed how some of the early proponents of the theory claimed to receive information that made them famous from various types of non-human spiritual entities. For example, in the 2012 Deception presentation and how 2012 Genesis, excuse me, how 2012 Enlightenment will lead to genocide, I mentioned how David Wilcock received his 2012 information from an entity that he channels named Ra. It seems that this contact with extra-dimensional entities is epidemic among the founders of the 2012 nonsense. Let's take a look at a few examples. Jose Arguyes. Arguyes is a guy who started it all. Is the guy who started it, started it all. He's the guy credited with coming up with the December 21st, 2012 date from the Mayan calendar. In many ways, he is the founder of 2012. Jose now wants to be called Volum Votan, which apparently means closer of the cycle. He made this change uh, in his name essentially because, as he explains on a webpage entitled Votan Lives in Arguyes, Arguyes is Dead, cap, caps and all, uh, that uh, capital letters and all, that he was receiving so many prophetic messages from a long-dead Mayan priest named Pakal Votan, who died in 683, that he just decided to go ahead and do away with his other identity altogether. Arguyas explains in another place about how about his revelation of the 2012 date came from Votan. The source of the revelation was Pakal Votan, A.D. 603-683, whose tomb was dedicated in A.D. 692, long count 913-000. My journey began in 1953, one year after the discovery of Pakal Votan's tomb on June 15, um, 1952. I received a vision concerning the dates of the end of the ninth hell, August 16th through 17th, 1987. From this vision came from the con came the conception of the harmonic convergence global meditation, which commemorated the conclusion of the prophecy of Quetzalcoatl and signaled the final countdown to winter solstice, A.D. 2012. Jose also has gems like this: Who will be the prophet? Um, who will be the priest to interpret truly the word of the book? This question concludes the prophecy of the new religion. The new religion is not Christianity, but the religion of the UR, which he calls the universal religion, which comes at the end of time after the fulfillment of all the prophecies. 
And he goes on like this, by the way. He's really, really into this you are, this universal religion, and he's really also equally into it not being Christianity. Um, number two, Terrence McKenna. McKenna was a brilliant speaker and a poster boy for DMT, which was a hallucinogenic substance found in South and Central America used by shaman to contact the spirit world. I recently did an interview with Dr. Future that looked into the phenomenon phenomenon of DMT along with other substances in regards to their facilitating contact with the spirit world. In 1971, McKenna and his brother performed a ritual in the Amazon trying to, quote, fuse DMT and psilocybin to DNA. This ritual left his brother psychotic for about a week, but it sent Terrence into a sleepless trip in which he had some very deep conversations with what he called the Logos. This voice uh, told him information on how to use an ancient Chinese divination tool called the I Ching to, quote, map time. He subsequently commissioned a computer program using this information that apparently calculated what Terrence would call an infinitely novel event that was supposed to happen in 2012. Note, Terrence actually set the end point of the program to December 21st, 2012, after he heard of Jose Argulis's December 21st, 2012 date. So it wasn't calculated at all, but rather chosen specifically. McKenna related at the Open Center, uh, the mushroom, or the Logos is what he's referring to there. The mushroom informed him that, quote, what you call man, we call time, and suggested he take a very close look at the I Ching with uh, a lot of uh, other details that he recounts in other places. Now, this is significant because this event impacted McKenna's core philosophy significantly, and he almost single-handedly made, the 2000, made 2012 rise to prominence in the early days because of his brilliant speaking ability, which he attributes to the Logos as well. For those of you who are familiar with McKenna's famous silver tongue, you might be interested in this quote, which attributes his verbal prowess to possession by the Logos in 1971. Quote, After the experiment at La, at La Correa... I had apparently evolved into some sort of mouthpiece for the incarnate logos. I could talk to small groups of people, which apparently, uh, which appeared to be elect with what appeared to be electrifying effect about the about the particularly transcendental matters that you will read about in the page in these pages. I was as though it was as though my ordinary, rather humdrum personality had simply been turned off, and speaking through me was the voice of another, a voice that was steady, unhesitating, and articulate a voice seeking to inform others about the power and promise of psychedelic dimensions. And he actually says later on, too, that um, he talks a lot about uh, schizophrenia and how audible voices in your head are not a, you know, he's trying to defend them and, and these types of things. And that he's not even when he's high, I, I feel that he was doing that because he probably did have uh, voices in his head uh, after this as well. Number three, of course, I don't have any. I don't have any proof of that yet. Uh, number three, Daniel Pinchback. Uh, you may have seen this guy on TV. He's one of the usual suspects on the History Channel, Discovery Channel, et al. to promote 2012 theories. He's also presented as the respected Mayanist. Uh, so I was surprised to hear that he came to this conclusion because Quetzalcoatl told him all about it in a particularly intense ayahuasca trip, uh, which is a DMT-containing drug, in the rainforest. Quote, here I am, the voice said. Who are you? I asked this intimate alien presence. Quetzalcoatl, he replied. As I pondered this, the voice began to dictate a message. 
Quetzalcoatl, or whatever spirit, demonic entity, or dissociated shard of my overwrought psyche, had taken up to temporary residence inside my skull, explained that he was an eminent field of mind, a new level of consciousness, linking sacred traditions with modern thought streams, melding modern empiricism with mercurial, mercurial realms of the soul and a higher pirouettes of spirit. The plumed serpent, winged avenger of the Mayan myth, had chosen this moment to alight. I was a convenient reference point, a panoptic illusion embedded at the necessary coordinates in our space-time matrix to transmit this newospheric news. Without knowing it, I had been living with a, within a vortex of cryptic communications whose source was only now becoming apparent. The voice dictated words and shards of prophecy ex explic explicating its viewpoint. And he says that in his book, 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl, page 346. David Wilcock. I've already mentioned that Wilcock was one of the earliest proponents and popularizers of 2012 theories uh, and also received his information from channeled sources. In his case, the, it was the Egyptian god Ra. In one of his channeling sessions, quote-unquote Ra says the basic date for the shift corresponds to the end of the Mayan calendar, December 2012. Ra makes a suggestion that the Mayan calendar was given to Mayans by high-level, six-density extraterrestrial, extraterrestrials so that they would have a tool with which uh, to time the passage of these cycles. It is a good thing to know how these cycles work because they are tied uh, in with history. John Major Jenkins is number five in the last one. Jenkins certainly credits himself as one of the originators of 2012 Nonsense, which he's done uh, with me uh, personally. He's also is a regular guest on many of the 2012 shows on the major television networks. Jenkins is supposed to be the pure science guy, or at least that's the way he seems to be billed. So I was surprised to learn that he, too, is a major advocate of DMT and other shamanic experiences. Jenkins uses psilocybin mushrooms extensively during the 1990s, during the period when he was doing the research for his magnum opus, Mayan Cosmogenesis 2012. He appears to attribute to drug use his, quote, blazing new revelations about how the Maya encoded the galactic alignment of 2012 into their various institutions. Jenkins has prepared himself for that experiment through fasting and diligent meditations. In addition, he had a lately... Uh, Lately, eliminated mind-altering substances in deference to yoga practice, seeking clarity of mind as further preparation. He had four or five previous sessions in the isolation tank, quote, without pharmacological help. Jingens recalls that the session in which he used LSD lasted five hours. He later wrote that that experience affected me deeply. It, I, it was completely different than several psychedelic trips I've, I've previously undertaken. I walked around North Chicago neighborhoods a few hours to get anchored back into embodiment. My body seemed newly born, as did my mind and soul. And I got that from 2012hoax.org. And this is one I'd like to research further. If anyone has any more news of Jenkins' experiences on hallucinogens, especially those in which he is in contact with other beings, please let me know in the comment section below. Below. The main thing that I feel is important to notice about all this is that the... Um, <laughs> Uh, is that considering that we have seen that the information of these gods is, has given us is wrong, quote-unquote gods has given us wrong, what does that mean about these quote-unquote gods? Are they liars? It would seem so, if for no other reason than because they seem quite content to be rather deceptive about their identities. And I probably should have written a more, more extensive conclusion there, but essentially that's the issue. A lot of people will look at this and say, well, 
that just proves that the origin of 2012 is, you know, mystical in nature and it just it, it validates it. And that I could I could almost see their point if it weren't for the facts about 2012 being wrong. You know, if you have an entity claiming to be Ra tell you that the Earth is going to be aligned due to the 26,000 year precession cycle with the center of the galaxy, then either that entity doesn't know much about astronomy or got fooled or got his, you know, thought something was happening that wasn't happening, or, you know, if one of these things tell you, tells you that the planets are going to be aligned, uh, whether or not, um, you can look at it map of like where the sun is and where all the planets are on December 21st, 2012. They're not aligned. So, and, and on and on and on like this. I mean, there is no Nibiru that the Zechariah Sitchin translations are totally false. Uh, we could go on and on and on. And, and I try to hit all of them in things like the 2012 deception presentation or for a very short version, 2012 debunked uh, or debunking 2012, same thing, which is out there in a very short version. So my point is that the these entities are liars or stupid and they appear to be liars because they are seem to be the same type of entity same agenda same message but call themselves different stuff to whoever is listening you know if they want if they're really into the mayan stuff they'll call themselves quetzalcoatl if you're into edgar casey it might call you itself raw uh it doesn't matter what you what you think he will, they will conform to your paradigm. And that's why so many people are out there talking to Pleiadians and greys and channeling this and that and their dead grandmother and everything else because it just de- doesn't depend on the entity. It depends on your uh, paradigm. Okay, so that's that. I wanted to quickly also talk a little bit about Terrence McKenna and Time Wave Zero. And I, I think I might do a separate... Um, post on Time Wave Zero on the 2012 deception because the, I did put one out there before, but it was a really relatively um, scant. So I'm going to just talk a little bit about Time Wave Zero and what it was, um, what it is, is a computer program as we know it today. And basically, as I mentioned, Terrence had a vision. Uh, when he was in the rainforest in the 1970s on this trip where this Logos told him to um, to to take a look at the I Ching, which is an ancient uh, Chinese divination tool using uh, the King Wen sequence of the I Ching. These are a bunch of like hexagrams. They're, they're multi-lined little things. They're little tiles, I guess you could say. There's 64 of them. And there's well, a lot of different ways you could arrange them, if you could imagine 64 tiles. And so this particular type is called the King Wen sequence. So that's the one that he used to develop this. And he basically, of his own sort of thought process, came up with a way to determine 64 numbers. And they took those 64 numbers and put them on a, uh, basically a graph and then lined those that graph up with each with each other essentially made a bunch of copies of the same exact graph and then enlarged them. People think it's like fractal and stuff like that, but it's really not. It's actually pretty simple. Um, but nevertheless, he made this this graph. And then it's, it looks like a line graph, you know, like a, like somebody, like your, your company stock is doing this and then it fell and these kinds of things. So that's what, and then essentially what he did is he lined that up. He took a, he took a history, a map of history basically, and he slid this thing back and forth uh, 
until he found, you know, something where he thought was a pretty good fit. So he's essentially arbitrarily finding a place to put this thing where, it, you know, he can have like a good story, basically. And I would submit that really he only did that for like one section that really fits. And that's the one you see when he's pointing at like on the Discovery Channel or whatever. It's like, this is where Black Death was and this is where, you know, the end of the Islamic Golden Age and this is where the Crusades were. And that's the particular screenshot that I think that he actually did line up and the rest of it is arbitrary. Um, but anyway, so so he's got a match there and that actually puts the end date. Here's the important part for a lot of you that care about this. The end date of um, was originally set in 2012, November 2012, until he later found out about, uh, this is pretty early, this is like in the 80s, he found out about um, Jose Argulis' uh, discovery of the Mayan calendar thing, so he slid it forward to December 1st, 2012. The end date is actually the start date. It's the only time that this graph actually goes to zero. So by setting, sliding that sucker around, you're actually setting the start and end of it and changing all of it. So um, it doesn't really... It didn't really have a starting point and end there. The starting point is wherever you put the end point, if that makes sense. So there wasn't a lot of calculation going on there. Um, but that's not the least of the problems. Um, the As I mentioned, I think the, the one little section where he shows the that Muhammad and Islamic Golden Age and the Crusade and Black Death, the New World Discovered, is the one place that he seems to have done uh, a little bit of, of work in there. The rest of it is not... It's what you'll find is it's arbitrarily placed. Everything seems to be a match. If it's on the down slope, uh, if it's kind of halfway up the slope, if it's at the top of the slope, it's all somehow a match. Everything is a match. There's nothing that's not a match in this thing. And this is a computer program that you can get. And uh, the main thing is is that if it is real, you should be able it should be able to accurately predict um, the last ten years, which Time Magazine calls like the decade of from hell. So it should be able to have, I mean, if Terrence McKenna said it predicted things like, you know, whatever, like George Bush getting elected president or reelected or whatever, uh, then it should probably predict things like nine 11 or, uh, you know, the, the, uh, tsunami that killed 200,000 people. Right. But it doesn't predict any of those things. In fact, um, we'll see the most novel event, of the the last ten years, and I'm sure everybody knows where they where they were in this state. Uh, it was when the European astronomers discovered 32 exoplanets. I'll never forget when I heard that news. It was like whoa, um, or the biggest drop. Really, that's that's the biggest valley. That all started when when another thing happened that I think that um, that all of us will equally remember this this because it's clearly the highest peak of the last uh, 10 years. Does everybody remember where they went, were when the UN declared uh, 2008 the year of languages? Because that was very, very serious. And uh, the, the same place that 9-11 um, took uh, earlier in a, in a spike that's not nearly as steep or uh, massive, but the exact same sort of place is on another one of this is when high-speed train through the English Channel Tunnel opens. Now, keep in mind, I didn't make... I'm looking at a graph here that somebody 
tried to do this. They tried to like map the last decade and, and prove that Time Wave Zero was a valid computer program. So they, they took this and, and tried to find the best possible things that happened on these dates. Uh, and th this is the kind of thing that they came up with. So, and you, you can go on like this. I mean, it's just, it doesn't, and it's interesting that the only place in these graphs that you couldn't put anything for it to, you know how I said, well, everywhere on the graph is a match. There's one type of thing that isn't a match, and that's something going on the left side up the slope, because that wouldn't be novel. That would be on its way up to peak of novelty, and uh, it would be, it would not work. So really, anything and everything is a match. If it's on the way down a slope, if it's to the top of the slope, if it's in the valley, if it's in a top, you know, if anything is a match, literally, except for on the left side going up a slope. And that's, and this person uh, has, the only thing on that left side of the slope going up is the tsunami killing 200,000 people. And the only reason they put that there is because they had to. You couldn't just not mention that in a, uh, in, in a decade, you know, look. So... What I'm trying to say here is that uh, the lots of different reasons why time wave zero doesn't work uh, is because it doesn't predict the future. The starting and end point uh, was chosen. It wasn't calculated. Uh, there's a mathematician named Watkins who uh, had something called the Watkins objection. He, he called the mathematics arbitrary and that uh, McKenna arbitrarily picked the main sequence of numbers and uh, he, and he was supposedly for McKenna. He came in to try to support McKenna and to look at this code and try to try to help him out. So, and then as I mentioned, there seems to be no right or wrong answer. Everything seems to be a match, and it's really not about it, it's about what is not put in the graph. You know, um, you can look at a bunch of stuff in history and not report things that would not fit into the paradigm. It's just too easy to to fool so that's that's something i wanted to mention there and let's see how much time we've got left okay so not much time at all so i'm just going to wrap it up here i'll try to get a lot more of these podcasts out and try to uh to go forward with the news at first on nowhere to run if uh it ends up being a really good thing maybe i'll make it into a separate show or whatever if it's needed if you don't like the news or you like it let me know drop me a line at nowhere to run radio.com uh, if you want to come to the talk tomorrow in Asheville, North Carolina, check the papers there for times and locations. Also, if you want me to come to your church and talk about some random subject or whatever, I'll be happy to put together a presentation on any old thing that you want me to. Um, so just let me know about that. I certainly don't charge any money. I mean, just whatever it, the cost of getting out there would be, would be, uh, quite enough for, for me there. Um, and the ability to, you know, edify or evangelize. In this particular situation, it's not a church at all. It's a, it's a venue in the down in the downtown area, more of an evangelism type outreach thing to uh, to believers in 2012 type thing. So, uh, whatever whatever you think, if the Lord leads uh, in that regard, let me know. Also, um, just put up a new sleep paralysis website uh, for Mike. 
over there at stopsleepparalysis.org and now stopsleepparalysis.com. It's got some bugs to be worked out of it, but uh, it's getting there. If you, you can now leave comments on all the pages and put your own experiences with sleep paralysis in the comment section of the experiences thing, that would really help uh, generate more uh, content over there. Uh, that that's a really great ministry. It's uh, bearing a lot of fruit. People are you know getting saved all the time. So um, anyway, I hope this uh, hope this this audio finds you well, and I'll talk to you very 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 soon. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I have done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry. Thanks for your time.